Titus. And I'm Andrew. Uh, we are chilling in the state, state house. house. And we are chilling in the state house with a special guest. You all know him as the prairie chicken aficionado himself, Mr. John Hanna. Howdy, guys. How's it going? Um, I'm glad to be here because I've become, become a big fan of chilling in the state house. I've binged listen. Yeah, John, for a while. John came on our podcast without ever having listened to the podcast previously, which in hindsight was a really bold move. And now he knows fully what to expect. Yes. Yes. And this is a special episode for Titus, right, Titus? Yeah, but we can we can talk about that <laughs> at later. The end. At the end, yeah. Well, this it, is no I think I think the theme of the episode though is kind of tied into your announcement. Which is, you know, Let's talk about you know, kind of the end of session come to a close, you know. Um, it's it's right now it's Friday. We're, t- we're doing this on Friday. Uh, and something's happening Wednesday, right? Yes, the ceremonial last day of session, signy die. Yeah. And John can probably tell us what that means in Latin. Uh, without day or without another day. Uh, I have heard, and the Latin scholars out there can correct us, because there are so many that listen to you. Yes. Um, I think it's actually sine da or something like that. Uh, the story I've always heard is that legislators liked to say sine die because they liked the die part of it. It's the day the session dies for the year. Um, many, many, uh, many times it's just a, a ceremonial day. They're in and out in a half hour, and they bang their gavels, and that's it. And not all of them show up. Uh, But uh, probably with increasing frequency over the past 20 years, they've done some business on this day. And, of course, last year they had to do some COVID stuff because their session was truncated, and they had one day left to... Weren't they up to like 4 a.m.? Yes. Let's not do that again. <laughs> so, so last episode, we talked about a bit about what we're going to do Sunny Dive. But, but for this episode, no, we're kind of, you know, because essentially they've done virtually almost all of your business. Um, we're kind of just kind of looking back at this entire, you know, entire, you know, entire year. We know what they've done. They've passed a lot of bills. They've passed a lot of policies and had a lot of fights. Um, I want to ask both of you, you know, like what do you think was probably in your mind probably the most important thing that lawmakers did this session. Are we going like most important in a practical sense or like most significant in terms of the public policy future of Kansas? Cause I feel like up to your interpretation. Man. Oh God. Okay. John, why don't you lead us off? <laughs> well, in terms of something that could have a fairly significant social policy ramifications, of course, fairly early in the session, uh, they, uh, they passed a proposed anti-abortion amendment to the state constitution. And that amendment would allow the legislature to return to regulating abortion as it sees fit in line with, basically with federal court decisions. And of course, uh, a Mississippi abortion law is being reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. And so there's a discussion about whether next spring or early summer, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade. 
the uh, historic 1973 decision that legalized abortion across the nation. Now, of course, that has been narrowed somewhat over the decades, but there's still the central holding of uh, access to abortion as a fundamental right or some access to abortion as a fundamental right for women. And of course, as you know, in 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court said that access to abortion was a fundamental right under the state constitution, which of course means that the state courts could go in a different direction than the federal courts and raise questions about whether a whole slew of things that the legislature passed over the last decade um, might be thrown out. And so that's that's going to be a pretty interesting election campaign. It's on the ballot in the August primary. And uh, if it passes, uh, you can see the legislature um, well, the first thing that might happen is the state could be trying to, depending on who's governor after 2022, uh, could be trying to enforce existing laws. Um, and it would open, possibly open the door, depending on what the U.S. Supreme Court says, to new restrictions. There, uh, there are proposals. There's a, a Texas governor just signed a law. Uh, banning most of I think most abortions after a fetal heartbeat right. can be detected which can be as early as six weeks so that's that's out there and then of course Republicans were finally successful this year in overriding the governor's veto of uh, income tax cuts that were meant to help businesses and individuals that who who've been paying more because of the federal tax laws changed in 2017 so uh, President Trump is out of office, but the debate over his the tax cuts he championed kind of went on, and they finally overrode a veto. So those those are the two that stick out. And then, of course, the the ongoing discussion, fight, battle, whatever word you want to use between uh, Governor Laura Kelly, a Democrat, and the Republican-controlled legislature over the coronavirus pandemic and by extension how this state is going to handle emergencies in the future. Yeah. I'm going to take a little bit of a different tactic. I don't know that this was the in terms of legislation the biggest piece of legislation that was passed, but I think in terms of reader interest and the volume of emails I got anyway, it probably is the biggest subject that I covered all year and that was the ongoing adventure that is the Kansas Department of Labor. Um, I mean, we've discussed this, I think, on air before, but, you know, dating back to the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, when we saw a massive increase in the number of folks who were out of work, the Kansas Department of Labor just couldn't keep up. And uh, there were various iterations of this problem. We had overpayments to, to claimants back last spring and summer. They got clawed back. That was a whole controversy that prompted the then labor secretary to resign. Then we had long wait times for folks on calling in, trying to figure out what was going on with their benefits. We had new expanded federal benefit programs that got rolled out that people weren't getting paid from because KDAL is operating off a mainframe system that is older than Titus and I combined. So 
then we get to the fall where kind of all these things coming together mushroom cloud into uh, a new problem and that's unemployment fraud we had these fraudsters it's still kind of unclear the the nature of the of the uh, organized crime that was involved but you know able to take advantage of the fact that federal programs particularly the pandemic unemployment assistance program which is for gig workers for uh freelancers there weren't the usual controls in there that would weed out someone who's uh, you know a bot or fraudulently applying for for benefits so the state uh, and and also again the aging technology made that compounded the problems so the state uh got hit up between state and federal programs to the tune of anywhere between $290 million in fraudulent payments all the way up to maybe even as much as $600 million, depending on who you believe. And uh, all the while, these fraudulent uh, claimants are clogging up the system for people, real people, real Kansans who are out of work and trying to access their benefits. So these people were desperate. They're calling their legislators. And I mean, I think so many different committee hearings on so many different subjects that this got brought up somehow where people are desperate people losing their houses losing their cars you know really in in tough spot and uh, a lot of the problems i think have been rectified but on the legislative end to fix the big ten thousand foot problem of the fact that the technology uh, that is used to pay these claims is just out of date uh, legislators passed a bill that would give them give the business community give organized labor more of a say in how uh, a big overhaul of this computer system looks going forward and there were a bunch of other parts of this bill i mean john it was like a, 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 i know you, you reported on this it's like an 80 90 page bill yeah. um and it, there were a whole bunch of things it limits uh when you can get uh, or for how long you can get benefits, depending on what the unemployment rate is. It uh, changes the rate tables to try and help employers make sure they're not on the hook for uh, ensuring the state is, is solvent with, with the fraudulent claims. A whole bunch of things. And, and I think it just, if there is one thing that I think everyone, you know, uh, an example of legislators responding to constituents working on a largely bipartisan manner, including with the executive branch to get a final product done. You know, an example, dare I say it, of the legislative process of government actually kind of working the way uh, Schoolhouse Rock says it should. I think this was a, this was an example. Um, it was not a cure-all. Again, there are Kansans who are still having problems getting through to Kadal, but uh, long term, it I think everyone is confident or, or optimistic anyway that it sets a, sets a good path going forward. Well, and, and you mentioned the rates paid by businesses. Those are basically taxes that businesses pay to help finance unemployment benefits. And, and of course... And when we don't have money in the kitty to pay those out... Those businesses get... To- not only do they get to pay more, <laughs> then you have this issue of fraud and businesses are wondering if they're going to be on hook for paying back the fraud. And that's kind of for them, they would argue a double whammy. And so this legislation was uh, key to that. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about how Kansas came to 
be in this position. And I think the governor's argument has consistently been that it was a perfect storm that hit a department with aging technology that should have been upgraded, but for whatever reason was not previously. I mean, there's some that they started an upgrade project 15, 17 years ago. And then when Sam Brownback took office shortly after, maybe a year, close to a year after he took office, it was canceled. And there are very different explanations for why that was. The Republicans say it was burning through money too quickly and they weren't, the state wasn't getting what it needed. And of course, Democrats' theory is that the, they just, you know, the Republicans just weren't interested in paying benefits. So, you know, and, and frankly, that was coming as the state was starting to recover from the Great Recession. And, and so the way things work generally is in government is sometimes when a problem isn't, one problem doesn't seem quite as pressing and other problems do, you shift your focus to those other problems. Um, now, of course, Brown, one of the Brownback administration's big initiatives was tax cuts, and but that's another story for another day. Uh, <laughs> another and, podcast, and, and it's not necessarily the same pots of money. Titus, what was your big story, the biggest story that you think well, came about from this session? I want to keep my answers short and concise so I don't bore our listeners. Um, I honestly think it was that concurrent resolution honoring healthcare workers that was just sitting on the Senate or the House side forever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll tell you it's trans. Trans. Just because I feel that we're going to have more battles on along the same lines. That I feel like post-Trump, just nationally and here in Kansas, it's shifted a lot more to kind of that cultural war type of thing. Um, that you know uh, the the battles that ignite the most attention and and I think we're going, we are going to see in future sessions and, and more like more of those kind of cultural war type of battles because you know, on the on the on the on the if you look at the practical the practical aspect you know that trans bill I mean there weren't really that much instances happening here in Kansas it would know that if 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 you if you look at the effect of you know when the number of trans whatever it, like the practical effect is minimal but I feel like in terms of the debate in terms of what is going to drive people to, I don't know, whether that be to vote or to just, you know, complain or, you know, what's going to drive the political rhetoric and everything. Um, I think the trans thing is kind of just the first of many issues to come. Um, well, yeah. I, I think the interesting thing about that, the the, the sports bill, and, and it is, for the people who are pushing it, it is a serious issue. There are questions of... And and it's in some ways there's a, 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 a there's some symbolism here because for some folks who are socially conservative this is this discussion uh, the discussion of of trans girls playing on girls and women's sports team is symbolic of what they think is going wrong with society um, in terms of gender and and sexuality and all of that. Um, but I, I'm curious about that in the sense that there's there's a question here of of how long this remains an issue that legislators feel 
they can pursue politically. In other words, part of part of what is interesting here is a sense that Republicans who are pursuing this legislation believe it's popular. They believe that voters generally support this legislation and are on their side. But the question is, how long does that remain? And the reason I ask that question is, it's, it's barring an event, a court case, something we don't, can't see on the horizon right now. The debate, for example, over same-sex marriage, gay marriage, is, has been very quiet since the U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2015. And there is a sense, and, and Tom Witt of Equality Kansas, the LGBTQ rights group, would argue that people in politics understand that attacking gay marriage is politically a non-starter. Out, outside the base of people who already oppose it. If you are, for example, if you are the minister of a conservative church or you're speaking to a conservative church group, yes, you can talk about what's going wrong in your mind about same-sex marriage and how the country is on the wrong path. But in terms of politically running, win, running in and winning elections, it's not the issue it used to be. And, and so the question I have here, and this is something to watch as a reporter, is do attitudes about on this issue shift and shift to the left as they did with gay marriage, well, or does do, do they not? Oh, I, I mean, well, I, I wasn't. Well, I guess wasn't necessarily trying to say is that you know this trans thing is going to become an issue for long term, but rather it's it's kind of this national shift that you see among um, the National Republican Party, and I think you you will see it eventually trickle down to to states, including Kansas. Is the fact that a, a lot of conservatism is less and less about, I guess. In, how to say this? What one would think tr- is traditional conservative, you know, poor principles that you say, okay, we need to like show that we're small government, low budget. I mean, they still they're, they're still saying that right now. But I'm think, I'm saying is that there's going to be less and less a focus on that, and more and more a focus on the hot button cultural war type of issues that we're going to see more relevant. And if the trans thing, you know. If the trans thing dies down, they're going to move on to another topic. But even then, even if there's a leftward teaching shift, how we teach race in schools, we didn't a, get that this session, but other states did. That's probably next year. I think that what was it, the seventeen seventy six project thing? I, I'm sure I, I wouldn't be surprised if legislation on that comes to Kansas next session. Um, and there's going to be a whole other debate about how we teach race. Or, like, it's, there's going to be a leftward shift on things. I also think, and I think a lot of people discredit. There's going to be also a, a huge rightward shift in reaction to that from at least GOP base as well. Well, and, and that you, you're you're raising an, an interesting point because it was maybe in a state with Republican supermajorities. Um, it was interesting that the uh, that uh, they didn't have a debate over you know teaching critical race theory and and the the New York Times sixteen nineteen project. Sixteen nineteen, my bad. I got um, well, the seventeen seventy six project was Donald Trump's alternative. Oh, okay. So I got the thing. and <laughs> and you know because Oklahoma and Texas is, have had debates about it, um, and and other states have. 
uh, about that. So, yeah, I mean, given that it's being discussed all around the country, yes. But, of course, at the same time that discussion is going on on one side, there's also kind of a discussion that was, I, I think, largely kind of in the background this year about policing and those kind of racial justice issues because after the 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 George Floyd death last year you know there were some big marches and mm-hmm. and uh demonstrations about that and some discussions and the governor formed uh, a task force uh to look into some of these equity issues but in in the end a lot of legislation did not come out of that and the people in that group said well it's a it's a process and you know first you have to educate people and stuff like that but um but it that that is also out there so i i those issues would probably be coming forward i mean I, some of some of it this was such a weird session because it was covid post covid yeah and that issue of the pandemic and how it was being dealt with and were the early restrictions appropriate were the are the continuing ex- restrictions appropriate who gets to make the restrictions i mean that's just that was a that was a lot of the discussion and a lot of the energy um i want to ask what do you think was the funniest thing that happened this session Oh God, <laughs> that's pr- that, that's that we can discuss on air in a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> you can always use u- euphemism. <laughs> I mean, Why don't you start? Me? Yeah. What was the funniest thing that happened? To me, I, I mean, I mean, for all you listeners, you know, there's always kind of you know little little things that you know that people obviously don't report on because it's not important, but it's. It's always kind of funny to sometimes watch, you know, after, you know, straining your eyes and trying to listen to every quote and everything that they say. But I guess what I really liked was just kind of those, um, just the antics of like certain politicians, certain lawmakers who know, who are, you know, who, who make it a point to try to like just mess up, mess with leadership and troll leadership just because they, they can, they want to, you know, um, I guess, you know, for like, um, I definitely know just some kind of back and forth between, you know, Senator President Masterson and Senator Dennis Pyle. Um, I like how, you know, during that kind of the whole private funding debate, you know, in which the Senate was kind of like really close to it. And then Senator Rob Olsen decides, you know, let me just switch my vote so that it dies, you know, just and, <laughs> and it refuses to comment when asked, you know, why he just just because he can. I, I, I guess it's just like I just like how there, I do, you know, I do appreciate that there's this trolls, there's trollish lawmakers here and and. I mean, they might might say obviously on the record that they're actually serious about their intent and everything, but I just like how there's those those kind of dynamics in here. Yeah, John. Well, uh, you know, uh, one incident stands out, and I'm I'm sure Representative Miller at the time didn't find it that funny, <laughs> but um, the House managed. He was giving a speech on a on a resolution about, I think it was a condemning the Democrats' legislation in Congress on voting rights, and the Republican argument against it is that it would be a federal takeover of uh, state elections, and of course the Democrats argue they'd be protecting voting rights, and and Representative Miller is is 
one of his uh, uh, specialty as specialties as an attorney has been election law and election contests and and that sort of thing. And so he, um, when there's an election spill, he gets up and speaks and on this resolution and speaks. It, and speak well, and, <laughs> and that speaks. was the that was the argument, and somehow the House uh, invoked a rule that they li- literally, in my thirty five, thirty six years of covering the legislature, I'd never seen invoked, which was that uh, apparently there is a rule that that re- says you can't be tedious. Uh, and that is actually the word. I, I gotta say, if that was if that was really invoked consistently, there would never be any debate in this building <laughs> on anything. Well, and 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 not, I'm not going to single anybody out because everybody, uh, politicians of all stripes, give long speeches, and uh, God knows, based on the fact that the last podcast I was on was the longest one you've done. <laughs> oh, we're going to top that today. I, I can't. I can't. I can't <laughs> claim any. Uh, uh, moral high ground on this but i always like to say that abraham lincoln uh gave the greatest speech on american soil the gettysburg address in in three minutes of maybe a little under and said everything that needed to be said (laughs) so uh, you know kind of my thinking is anything over three minutes is superfluous (laughs) um but um yeah it was kind of interesting to watch that and and you could see that it came kind of out of nowhere for Representative Miller, um, and and so that was kind of funny. The best the best debate I've seen in, in terms of funny was a couple of years ago when the Senate was debating a bill uh, to change the rules on. Um, exotic animal parks and to loosen them up. What had happened was years and years ago, uh, a high school student was taking a grad picture at an exotic animal park with a with a tiger, I think. Um, Which is just that just on its face value does not she seem was, like the right call. She uh, it was it was a terrible incident. She was mauled to death, and so the rules got a lot tighter. Well, there's a park somewhere outside of Wichita and Sedgwick County that wanted the rules loosened up. And, uh, of course, it's the kind of bill that everybody has to speak on. And um, what happened was a bunch of folks got up and started talking about, you know, well, farmers take chances in dealing with animals. You know, farming, if you you know, if you've got a wild cow or something, you, you, or sheep, you can get hurt. And the best that we we were sitting down here listening and uh, there was a Senator, uh, Larry Alley took his place named Steve Abrams. And he was a a veteran veterinarian. Um, and he, he dealt with large animals. And so he went through all the problems he'd had as a veterinarian, you know, have you ever had a cow step on your toe? It's not pleasant, that sort of thing. And at one point he, he looked at his colleagues and said, now, I don't know if you've ever had a cat thrown at you. (laughs) And, and that was kind of the tenor of the debate. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, Although, if you've ever had a cat thrown at you, it's not funny because they come at you claws first. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I do. I do want to add actually. Also, um, ju- just just uh, what I found really funny was um, whenever I guess those conference committees, uh, conference committees are usually when you know the House and Senate they come together and you know they kind of hash out their differences and their versions of a bill. 
but it was always entertaining to to see, especially the I guess the judiciary <laughs> conference committee, um, which between House Judiciary and Senate Judiciary. Um, you know, they they worked on a lot of big important stuff, especially a lot of the stuff kind of dealing with how the governor could handle or deal with COVID nineteen restrictions, etc. And um, how how a local government can also handle COVID nineteen restrictions. Um, so. Uh, I guess two, the two players here are, you know, on, on the Senate side, the person leading is Senator Kelly Warren. Um, and if you haven't learned yet, but, you know, he, she is considering a run for state attorney general, so she has sites on higher office. And you have uh, Representative Fred Patton from here, from here in Topeka. Uh, what we know about him is that he's a zookeeper. Okay, no, he's not a zookeeper. <laughs> he's not a zookeeper, but he he's loves... He's a friend of the Topeka Zoo. He, he, loves, yes. he loves giraffes and zoos and, and everything. Um, and, you know, Patton's... Rose Patton, you know, he's he's a super nice guy. You, you meet him, he's like, this is the nicest guy possible. Um, but the first time like, I ever saw him, like, legitimately, like, you know, kind of, you know, upset, you know, was during those conference community meetings because there was a lot of tension between between those two, 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 two committees, um, it was almost hilarious to watch sometimes, and it, it, it was like you were—you'd be watching the video, or you'd be in a room, and you'd go, "Wait a minute! Did Fred Patton just raise his voice?" <laughs> I mean, some comebacks. He's like, you know, like I remember the first time I, I saw him, he was like, you know, because Warren, you know, Warren has kind of that kind of controlling personality when he's chairing. He's like, "Okay, I I have to let you speak first, you know." But I, I remember one time Patton was like saying, "Like, oh, I'm not here to be cross-examined by you," you know. I was like, "Oh, damn." Look at that comeback, damn. Of course, what I enjoyed the most was the, between Carmichael, Reverend uh, Carmichael and Senator Pan. The Car- ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Yeah, John Carmichael, oh. the top Democrat on that committee. Oh, I remember one time they were, him and Warren were just going at it, you know. Carmichael's like, I'm not your school children, we're not school children, and we don't need your permission to speak, whatever. And Well, and, <laughs> and of course, if you were looking for two lawmakers in the building who are diametrically opposed in political philosophy it would be representative carmichael and senator warren i think so that that i mean she's somewhat conservative and he's uh on the liberal side and so um yeah so it would not be a surprise that they might get into nearly come to blows disagreement um the thing to remember about conference committees though is that uh, some of it, my experience having watched them is, some of it is about negotiating and keeping the other side off balance and, um, you know, trying to get some version close to what your your chamber wants or what you want. And so there is that element of... Um, seven level chess going on there and i mean i've i've seen like budget conference committees where the house uh chairman will say well we'll give you that and the senate chairman said well i don't want it i don't want it anymore (laughs) and it was part of a larger strategy of getting something else over uh, on on uh, somewhere else in the budget so yeah i mean that stuff can be pretty interesting to watch and you know 
both sides would tell you they're looking to get to a bill that does what they want it to do but works. And I I think that was Fred Patton's argument a lot of the time was that he didn't agree with the concepts that the Senate was approving and pushing for on, for example, the the Emergency Management Act or COVID business relief, which, by the way, the governor vetoed uh, just as a few hours before we're speaking here. I think his argument was that he was trying to make sure that it worked um, and that, you know, if the state said it was going to have this claims process and get money to businesses that it actually happened in a smooth way where people could tell what was going on. Now, obviously the senators thought they had had a pretty good product coming out of the Senate. It's, it's not unusual for the senators to think their product is really good and the house members to kind of roll their eyes. Andrew. For me, I think it was when I was when I was uh, called a reporter for High Times Magazine. Is that, I think that was the high water mark. Is that my fault? That was your fault, John. So John takes photos sometimes of, of the press corps at work, and I was interviewing a, a, a member of the of the house, and they sh- I think they shared the photo on their per- on their uh, Facebook page, and someone commented, "Are you talking to a reporter for High Times Magazine?" And the important context here is, I have fairly long hair. Yeah, he's a hippie. I'm a hippie. The rest <laughs> and that was a casual Friday, too, right? Yeah, so I was also in jeans and flannel, so it was really, yeah, I, the, the look was complete. And, you know, Well, and they did have a discussion of, of medical marijuana, so... It, I, it I think is, it might have been, I think actually that was what I was interviewing her on. Yeah. So it just, it was all, it all fit together, man. I put the chillin' and chillin' in the state house. Yeah, yeah. You are you are the uh, Lord of Laid Back, right? <laughs> That's gonna be my official title now from now on in this podcast, Sir Andrew, Lord of Laid Back. So, what do y'all think is going to be the thing to watch next session when when lawmakers come back? Well, I, I think one issue certainly to watch will be the budget and taxes. Uh, do Republicans having overridden a, the governor's veto on um, a tax bill, well, do they have other tax-cutting proposals that they would like to pursue? Um, I mean, obviously, everything's going to be colored by the governor's race, um, yep. And that's that's inevitable. I think the interesting thing will be to watch, for example, this uh, the this transgender uh, athletes bill, whether that comes back and in what form. Uh, obviously, there was a discussion of uh, allowing college athletes to profit from name, image, and likeness. And as you all have discussed on the podcast, those two issues kind of became linked. That's that's out there. I I do think that on the one hand the racial justice issues, and the the issues about you mentioned about how race is taught in schools, that also could be in the mix somewhat. Uh, and and medical marijuana is likely to come back. All right, right. So we can 
at some point, might might be able to really chill in the state house. Yeah, yeah. legally. No, um, I'm, I'm not fanatical. We are law-abiding citizens. Yes, on the on the podcast, you're quite law-abiding. I should point out. Um, I would uh, John summed it up well. I would just add also school choice, which yes. kind of half got off the ground this session, but the big uh, school voucher like contraption that Republicans really wanted, or some conservative Republicans really wanted, uh, did not, and I. I Betcha, we will see that again next session, or something like it, as as they kind of try to leverage a, a school choice expansion here in Kansas. Yeah, so for me, I I don't know anything about this because I was not here ten years ago, um, and I only have a. I think I know what the process is like, but then I also don't know what the process is like. But redistricting. Um, oh, that's a good shout. Yeah. Oh yeah. yes, how can we forget Mapzilla? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my nickname for it, because redistricting is like this big lizard monster that stomps on everything uh, and leaves the state house in metaphorically in 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 disarray because it, there's so many competing interests and cross currents. And yes, um, the, although it's hard to imagine it being more contentious than it was in 2012, it was so contentious in 2012. 12 that the legislature did not pass anything and a panel of three federal judges after some litigation drew all the lines and and so it's it's possible something like that could happen again although that was the result of a really really fierce battle between conservative and moderate republicans you see i'm curious though in the next session 20, 2022 you know if you know, because right now conservatives are much more in control. You know, um, it's a much more conservative supermajority what we have here in the legislature. Are they going to, you know, not only try to draw out the Democrats, obviously, but draw out mod Republicans, you know, as well? And I'm I'm curious if if the long term impact from from that is that we're going to see basically just mod Republicans just being stamped out. I mean, I don't know. It definitely seems a lot more modern in the House and in the Senate from from at least the vibes I have. Um, well, which is interesting because before the 2020 elections, it was the opposite. The Senate was really clearly more moderate than the House, it felt like. And then they all lost. Well, exactly. Womp womp. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is yes. Will conservatives try to use redistricting to... Um, draw lines that won't help moderates, yes. They'll also try to do that to Democrats, yes. Um, and, you know, the big, more interesting one is what Republicans do with congressional lines, the lines of congressional districts, because, of course, there's one Democrat in the congressional delegation, uh, Sharice Davids in the 3rd District in the Kansas City area, and that district has to shrink, um, because it it grew in population, and of course the first district, which has western and central Kansas, has to grow. And the same dynamic is going to happen in the legislature, where western Kansas is likely to lose, uh, we'll have to see the numbers, but maybe a seat or two in the House, and it will go to Johnson County. Maybe the Wichita suburbs, we'll see. Um, so... You know, that's always there's an urban rural dilemma. There's uh, there's Democrat Republican. There's conservative moderate. And, you know, sometimes it gets really personal, as in 
those are my two favorite precincts because I do well there and you are not <laughs> going to take them. Um, or, I mean, even stuff like lawmakers don't want the district numbers. That It's why you have uh, 78th district in Johnson County when most of the 70s are in South Central Kansas it, because the lawmakers in Johnson County didn't want to renumber all the districts so that they could reuse their signs from year <laughs> to year. I mean, you, you laugh, but signs are a, 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 a major expense. Really? And, <laughs> and, you know, when your filing deadline is moved back to mid-June because, you know, um, because there's not a map yet, I mean, every every little bit is is a concern to you, um, and so that's just interesting. And of course, redistricting uh, there are, there's a discussion of communities of interest, like neighborhoods being together. There's supposed to be some thought to making the districts as compact as possible, and um, that sort of thing. But given that the U.S. Supreme Court has said that uh, gerrymandering is really not an issue for the federal courts, um, to a large degree, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Yeah. Titus? Oh. Where where will you be when all this plays out? Well, I will still be chilling. Just, just, just. In another state house, um, yeah. This is this to, to my readers who, who who obviously miss me will miss me. Um, I am not going to be in Kansas after Wednesday. Uh, the end of session is going to be my end of my time here. Uh, I would have really loved to stay in Kansas. Topeka is a wonderful place, and I actually do mean that. People think I'm joking when I say that, but I was ready to become the next John Hanna and just live the rest of my life here in Topeka, but. That didn't happen, unfortunately, due to personal personal uh, reasons. Um, but yeah, I will I will be in Ohio. That's that's the next day I'm going to. Um, I'll be in Columbus. Uh, I will still be reporting on state government, as, as, as I say. Um, I will still be within, uh, I guess, the current Gannett USA Today thing. Um, but basically, join their state house bureau for Gannett, Ohio, reporting for the Dispatch, Inquirer, uh, Beacon Journal, that stuff, and seeing you know how crazy it gets here compared to Ohio, it'll be interesting to see. Can't, so. be any, can't be any crazier than Kansas. Oh, I think it can't be. That's true. It's Ohio. We're going to miss you, man. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed Kansas. I enjoyed, it, it's, 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 a, it's a very interesting state. I really like it. I still think Missouri's better, but Kansas. <laughs> Kansas, Kansas. And that sound you just heard was, <laughs> was dozens of <laughs> listeners turning off the podcast. It's John pushing his chair out of the office. <laughs> Can I help you get to Ohio? <laughs> no, but, no I, 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 I do think you know Kansas is a great place to raise a family. I, I generally do believe that. I'm not simply repeating politicians' talking points. I do, I do. <laughs> if I were, if I were, to, if I were to raise a family, you know, right after Missouri, it's Kansas. Um, I think it's 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 it's, it's a great place. I, I love reporting on it. I learned a lot about it. I learned, you know, it was also a good first job for you know. This is my first job out of college as well really liked it and it's podcast too you know it was always chill and i'm sure it was we lived good. up to the name yeah i yeah. hope i hope it continued being chill. I, I would note that this is uh the ap is still my first employer out of college oh. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so there you go 
<laughs> how, how old were you when you got employed by AP? Uh, 21. And how old are you now? Just kidding. <laughs> 56. Wow. <laughs> what a story career. It's true. John's in the Kansas Newspaper Hall of Fame. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, he's what we aspire to be. Okay, you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will still be manning the reins of Chilling in the State House, your weekly Kansas politics and policy podcast. And Titus, if they want to follow your work while you go off to Ohio, they can do that by following you on Twitter, right? Yeah, sure. I'm, 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 I'm still trying to get uh, boost on my followership. You know, Kansas didn't do enough because you know, just not many people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yes, follow me at Tizer100, T-I-T-U-S-W-U-1-0-0. And I am on Twitter doing Kansas things at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And you can find the Cap Journal in all its glory on social media. We're on Twitter at CJ Online. We're on Facebook. Or you can just go to CJOnline.com to read our written work. John, well, where, where can they find your written work? Well, the written work is uh, APnews.com backslash Kansas. Uh, my Twitter account is APJDHanna, H-A-N-N-A, um, and that's where they can find me. And you can find this podcast anywhere fine podcasts are found. I have I have, a, I, have a fav- I favor Spotify myself. Be like John. Listen to us on Spotify. Or you can find us I, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and even on cjonline.com. We're there Mondays, 10 a.m. And with that, I'll be signing off for the last time. <laughs>